Hi there. You're listening to Lindisfarne Anglican Church's Sermon Podcast, a place where you can hear God's Word preached if you weren't able to join us at one of our services during the week. My prayer for you today is that as you listen to this message, you'd be challenged, encouraged, and equipped to live as a disciple of Christ in the world. May God richly bless you as you listen to this message today. I wonder if you've ever met somebody you found extremely inspiring in the Christian faith. What, what was it about them that, that, that you found drew you to them or that, that inspired you? And I'm not talking about people who you've seen on the internet and you thought, wow, their fake persona is really inspiring. I'm talking about real life, actual people who you've sort of met in the flesh and spent some time with and, and yet you find, you find yourself drawn to them and inspired by their, their faith. It's sort of unfortunately a bit of a rare thing, isn't it, that we meet these people who so inspire us and we we can see so evidently the fruit in their life. Uh, I can think of two such people uh, who I've met. Uh, The the first uh, was a lady who, uh, when I took over the youth group at my church, uh, came and asked me for a list of all the kids who we had on our books. And I said oh, we have a hundred of them, what do you want them for? And she said, well, I want to pray for them all by name every morning. And I said, well, that's going to take a while. Are you sure maybe you just want the regulars or something like that? And she said, no, no, I'd like them all. Uh, And she she took them all and she prayed for them all. Uh, And, of course, she knew who I was, I think, because she'd been praying for me since I'd been going to youth group. Uh, And uh, this lady, uh, I ended up back at that church some uh, six or seven years later uh, and she was in a nursing home and I went and I visited her uh, and uh, we're talking again and she says, you know, Chris, I'm not sure what I'm going to do with all of my money. I said, well, tell me a little bit about that. And she said, well, you know, I've got my home and I've got my coat and I've got my food and I've got extra money. I don't know what to do with it. I'm trying to figure out what the best cause I can give it all away to is because, you know, there's just no need for a little old lady like me to have anything more than I, than I need. And I'm thinking, who talks like this? This is uh, 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 amazing. Uh, and, so, and, to, and then she talked about how she was loving life in the nursing home because she had a captive audience and she could just tell people about Jesus all the time. They couldn't run away. Uh, and uh, uh, it, it was kind of a, a, a beautiful thing. Such an encouraging woman of God and so clearly evident that uh, her prayer life, which was long, because she, I mean, she was praying for 100 kids for a long time, and you know, who, who knows who else was on that list, uh, had so seeped out of her. Or when I went to Bible college and I uh, met the principal there and I ended up in his life group uh, and uh, his... Uh, uh, study of the scriptures uh, which he knew well and could explain so clearly yet uh, had not just remained in his head uh, but had so transformed his life that you know it wasn't just like you were talking to a really smart guy who knew the bible it was you were talking to someone who knew Jesus well these people I'm sure you've met someone like it are people who have spent a lifetime of putting into practice the things that we're learning uh, about as we work our way through the book of Ephesians. Paul is encouraging the church in Ephesus and he's encouraging 
are secondarily uh, that we live lives uh, united under the gospel of Jesus Christ and that as we do that, as we submit ourselves to that, we strive for this holiness of living, the kind of lives that reflect the truth, the truth that God has saved us and given us his spirit to enable us to live new lives. And we've seen that through chapter 4, and now we're seeing it as Paul continues in chapter 5. In fact, chapter 5 is really a flow-on of chapter 4. So I want to go back and read the last couple of verses of chapter 4 and show you how it connects into what we're reading uh, here in chapter 5, particularly in the early verses. So in chapter 4, verse 31, Paul says, Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Paul uh, starts this train of thought, doesn't he, saying instead of being a hateful person, instead of being an angry person, instead of being a bitter person, instead of looking for a fight and enjoying the fight... What is a Christian to do? Forgive each other just as Christ forgave you. Verse four, and then he goes into chapter 5, verse 1, Follow God's example as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Get rid of bitterness, anger, hate, brawling, division and instead walk in the way of sacrificial Love. You know, someone said to me this week, well, you know, the thing with Harry is, Harry loves to fight and he'll keep on fighting. And I've been thinking about that a lot as I've been working through this passage, because how does that description of Harry sit with this section of Ephesians? Paul calling us to a life of Love, forgiveness, self-sacrifice. You know, the thing about Harry is he's not one to let things go and he keeps on fighting. Harry's way of life is incongruous with the gospel. And that tells you something, doesn't it? Uh, No effort made on Harry's behalf to live a cruciform life, to, to shape his life to be more like Jesus... That reveals a shocking truth about Harry's reality, that Harry, in fact, mustn't know the gospel, the story of God's self-giving love. He can't have met Jesus because if he had, he'd not be known as the unforgiving brawler who never gives up, but the compassionate lover who can't wait to let you have what you need. If you meet someone like Harry... You need to confront them with the truth of the gospel life that Paul calls us to live. And you need to model God's love to them and continue to pray that they'd realise how much God loves them and that they'd experience that reality for themselves. Be self-sacrificial and loving in the way you live, Paul says. Then he says, flee immorality and idolatry from verses 3 through to 7. Paul says that sexual immorality, impurity and greed in verse 3 and obscenity, foolish talk, coarse joking in verse 4, these things are to be replaced with thanksgiving. 
Paul's saying, don't be involved with uh, sexually immoral behaviour and don't, uh, uh, don't even talk about it or joke about it. Uh, you can think of all those times where you may not be involved in sexual immorality, but you're stuck in this lunchroom and the jokes are all about sexual immorality and you're kind of in that awkward situation. Paul says, don't do that. Don't talk like that. Don't be involved in those things. Rather, give thanks. Why does Paul add give thanks on the end of a list of things that he's encouraging us not to do? Well, because instead of seeing something and having greedy thoughts or lustful thoughts or impure thoughts, how much better instead to see that thing, whatever it might be, and to give thanks for it. It's the antidote, isn't it, for uh, some of these immoral behaviours, is uh, placing the thing in its proper context and giving thanks to God for his gifts that he gives to us. Thanksgiving helps us put God's gifts in their rightful place. Greed, lust, immorality, these things occur when we fail to remember that God is a gracious God who gives us things to enjoy and that we get the most from his gifts when we enjoy them and use them as he intended. Immorality arises when we ignore the giver and focus solely on the gifts. In fact, look what Paul says in verse 5. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. You see, when we're uh, immoral or acting impurely or, or, or being greedy, we're being idolaters because we're placing the gifts in, in place of the giver. And that's what an idolater does. There's someone who puts something else in place of God. It's very hard often for us as 21st century Christians to think about idolatry well. Because, you know, we can't go around the corner in Lindisfarne and find a giant statue of a, a, a cow or something and see a whole bunch of people worshipping and go, aha, that's idolatry. They're clearly worshipping that cow. There's sort of nothing like that. You know, maybe in Hobart when dark mofo's on and everyone's walking down the street and they're uh, about to burn the big ugu ugu thing. Um, how do you say that? Og, og, I don't know. I've never figured out how you say it. But, you know, on the last night of dark mofo, they burn this big thing and it's meant to take away the sins of Hobart or whatever. Maybe in that we have some sort of picture of, 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 of in-your-face idol worship. But we've certainly got nothing like the Ephesians had. The Ephesian Christians living in Ephesus, which is the town that is home to one of the seven ancient wonders of the world, the temple of Artemis, uh, uh, the goddess of fertility. So, you know, people were in this temple, worshipping this goddess, worshipping this idol. In fact, some of the acts of worship were, might have been to have sex with a temple prostitute. So, you know, it's, it's idol worship, it's sexual immorality, it's in their faces. And it's obvious and clear why Paul might write some of the things he does, particularly to this church. But secondarily, it still is clear to us, isn't it, that he wants us too to flee from idolatry. But for us, our idolatry is a little more subtle. It's the placing of anything in the place of God. In those days, it was Artemis in her temple. For us, it might be ourselves, our family, our work, our money, our reputation. These things that we place as our most important reality instead of God and the worship of him. So we need to check ourselves for idolatry. 
because it was easy, wasn't it, uh, in Paul's day? Am I at the temple worshipping Artemis? No? Good. Idolatry? Check. But for us, it's a little more subtle. For us, we need to think a little harder about how we're putting things in the place of God. And a good diagnostic question that someone once taught me was to think about what it is that you fear most in your life. Maybe you fear not having enough money, proving that money is perhaps an idol of yours. Maybe you fear not being liked by your friends, proving that reputation is what matters most to you. Maybe you fear having a family member disown you or walk away from you. Perhaps that proves family is what matters most to you. All those things are, uh, would be unpleasant if they happened, wouldn't they? But when we're worshipping God, they take their rightful place as secondary issues. For you fear not having enough money, uh, it reveals your idol is money and that you don't rely on the God who provides. You fear that you do not, uh, you, if you fear not being liked by your friends, you fear your reputation, uh, then you realise uh, that you don't worship the God who saves us even though we're worth nothing. When you fear having a family member disown you, it reveals that families are idol instead of the God who gives us a spiritual family. Our biggest fear should be that we walk away from relationship with God, not these other things, for God will sustain us should they happen to us. So Paul says, don't be an idolater because you'll miss out on your inheritance in the kingdom of God. That is, you'll miss out on joining with all the other Christians from every age, praising Jesus forever and ever. You'll miss out on heaven. Now, perhaps you think that as you read this and as you heard it read, but this doesn't really seem to fit with what we've read so far in Ephesians. But Paul, uh, uh, you know, has spent all this time talking about uh, it's not by works so that no one could boast. Paul has been banging on in Ephesians about how God is a God who gives us the gracious gift of salvation and we contribute nothing to it. Uh, It now sounds a little bit like maybe we do have something to contribute to it. But I I don't think Paul has just forgotten what he said only moments earlier in chapters uh, 2 and 3, only in chapter 4 to forget it. Now, I think what Paul is saying here is we must rely on the grace of God for our salvation, but not presume upon it each day. Paul is warning us, don't take God for granted. Rely on him, yes, but continue to strive in him for holiness. For if we just take it for granted, we will inevitably give in to a life of greed, bitterness, lying, and then that will be clear evidence that we never really got what God did for us in the first place. Let us rely on the grace of God, but let us not presume upon it so as we cease to strive for holiness. Paul concludes today by calling the Christian to live in the light through living a life of wisdom. He says that we should strive as Christians to live as children of the light in Jesus in verses 8 through 14 and to let the light of Christ shine brightly and expose the darkness of sin and idolatry around us. I wonder if you've ever had the experience where someone finds out you're a Christian 
and then they start apologising for their behaviour. This happens to me uh, a lot in the army, right? So uh, in the army, uh, they have a way of speaking that um, uh, is very familiar with some of the ways Paul tells us not to speak in this passage. Uh, so they might say, uh, uh, blah, 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 swear word, blah, blah, swear word, blah, blah, swear word, blah, swear word, blah, swear word, swear word, swear word, swear word, swear word. Uh, so, you know, like, uh, that's kind of how their, their speech goes in the army. Uh, but what happens when I turn up with my crosses on as the, as the padre? They say, blah, 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 swear word, oh, sorry, Chris, blah, 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 swear word, oh, sorry, Chris, blah, 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 blah. Oh, I've got to think of a new word to say because the, the minister's here. Uh, <laughs> And uh, I, I, I think uh, it's not just in that context, but that was the clearest one where, where this sort of thing happened, where, where people apologise to you for things they don't really need to apologise you for because suddenly you've turned up and just your presence and they kind of know you're a Christian, uh, they kind of start feeling judged by you. And this is a thing that happens to us, I think, because our very presence as people of the light in a world of darkness, in friends who are trapped in darkness exposes them. Uh, Light seeps out of us and they can't help but feel that. They can't name it, they don't know what it is, but that's, I think, part of what's going on here. It's living out the reality that uh, we are children of the light and that we expose some of their darkness when we interact with them. So we need to seek to make sure we're ready for that to happen, because it does happen, and that we know how to give a gracious response to those sorts of responses to us. Don't apologise to me, uh, but think about how you need to live with God. I've never tried that one at the army yet. I'll see, I'll road test it on Tuesday uh, and I'll get back to you. But we need to start thinking through uh, how it is we respond to those moments where light is exposing the darkness in the lives of our friends. And in fact, Paul finishes by calling us to be wise in how we live, doesn't he? Look at verse uh, uh, 15 and 16. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. This is not just talking about the opportunities that come by living as a person of the light in a dark world. This is talking about every opportunity, making the most of your time, seeking uh, to do things of eternal significance uh, uh, all the time. Uh, uh, And so there's a challenge here, isn't there, for us to make sure we're making the most of our time. He says, too, to not be foolish, but to understand what God's will is. This is a question that bugs Christians a lot. How can we know the will of God? Uh, And I think there's two things that need to be said here very quickly. Uh, And that first is that God uh, does reveal a lot of what he requires of us in Scripture, isn't it? He calls us to holiness of living, to to give thanks instead of to being immoral. Uh, Things that we're talking about in our reading today. He calls us to disciple-making. He calls us to worship him. There are all sorts of things that God makes perfectly clear he requires of us and he wants of us uh, in the scriptures. But there's all sorts of other decisions we have to make that God is less clear about. Who should I marry? Where should I go to church? Should I buy this food or that food? What should I do next? These sorts of questions are harder uh, to know what God's will is. 
And so in those things, or what we call God's particular will, we need to make sure we're constantly seeking God's will by finding general principles in Scripture, undergoing careful thought and prayer, and seeking advice from mature and experienced Christians. That's how we live wise lives where we understand what God's will is. And finally, Paul says that a wise life not only makes the most of every opportunity, not only seeks God's will for every situation, but a wise life is a life that is full of the Spirit and constantly worshipping our God. If we want to be people who live in the light and be wise, verses 18 to 20 tell us then we need to be people who are full of the Spirit. If we want to be people who flee immorality and idolatry, then we need to be people who are full of the Spirit. If we want to be people who are self-sacrificial and loving instead of self-indulgent and bitter, then we need to be full of the Spirit. Because if we are full of the Spirit, if God is filling us with his Spirit, then we are naturally going to overflow with holiness of life, like a cup overflows with water. As we are filled with the Spirit, Paul says we will sing to each other and to God. It's not so much, I think, here Paul's uh, saying um, Christians should just like walk around singing all the time, though wouldn't that be kind of wonderful if somehow we all could sing perfectly all the time. But what Paul says, notice there, is to make music in your heart to the Lord. In verse 19, I think it is. Paul's not so interested in us, uh, uh, not saying that a sign of, of, spiritual, uh, of, of being filled with the Spirit is to be able to sing well, but he's saying that uh, our hearts will be full of, I think he's saying our hearts will be full of joy. Because you know when we sing or we hear wonderful music, we're full of joy, aren't we? We're moved. Uh, we think, wow, isn't it wonderful? Uh, that, that music has moved me and, and I feel happy and joyful. And I think that's what Paul's saying here, that, that the fruit of the Spirit will be joy, like the joy that flows out as we sing. And it, it, I'm sure it will involve singing as well. That's why we sing in church. It's a response to what God has done for us. It encourages each other. Wise people are joy-filled people who constantly give thanks to God and who encourage one another with all that God has done for us. I pray that we'll be a spirit-filled, love-soaked, joyful shiner of the light of Jesus in our world. I pray that we'll be a community known for its love and its joy, and that we will let God's Spirit fill us and overflow in us so that we might declare his praises and speak his power into the world in which he's called us to live as a disciple of Christ. Amen. Hey there. Thanks so much for listening to this message today. I hope you're encouraged by God as he spoke to you by his Holy Spirit. Please head to our website if you'd like more information about our church www.lindisfarneanglican.org.au or like us on Facebook by searching Lindisfarne Anglican. We are a church for Lindisfarne, making disciples of Jesus. God bless.